Can you imagine a life that is free from spending sleepless nights preparing your responses for the hard conversation you have with your boss? Or what method of discipline to show your kids? Or how to have a better marriage? All we must simply do is make Christ at home in our hearts, and we will walk in the love that he is supplying. And it is with that love that our responses are seasoned, and it is out of that love that our actions will flow. Suddenly, forgiveness becomes easier. Discipline of our children becomes effective and doesn't exasperate them. You know the right things to do in your marriage because everything you do is rooted and grounded in love. We're finishing up the second part of the series I'm calling Experiencing the Fullness of God. And we began to look at Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus in the middle of his letter in chapter 3. I pointed out that in the first three chapters, Paul deals with doctrine. And in the last three chapters, Paul speaks to the practical living of Christians. And sandwiched right in between these, Paul breaks out into prayer. We saw the last time that we are being strengthened according to the riches of his glory, according to all that God is. Let's read our main text through, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is, derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Last episode, we went through verses 14 through 16, and we left off on the first two words of verse 17, the words, so that. And as I mentioned that the word so that translates hina in the Greek. And it's a Greek word that introduces what is called a purpose clause. So what it means is the purpose of verse 16, that we are being strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man, is so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Look again at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is important to note here that Christ dwelling in our hearts in this particular passage, is not referring to the work of salvation. Paul has already addressed that believers are in Christ in chapters 1 through 3, and he's done so multiple times. So this is referring to something different that is so insightful. It's talking about our sanctification. Jesus illustrated the same concept in John chapter 13, when he washed the disciples' feet and Peter protested, to which Jesus replied in verse 8, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. This means that the cleansing that Christ did in salvation never needs to be repeated. But while we are walking here in this fallen world, we tend to get some dirt on our feet, 
So he continually cleanses us through his work of sanctification. Now watch how this is brought out in our main text. Ephesians 3.17 So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell in the Greek is the word katoikeo. Katoikeo. And it's made up of two Greek words, oikeo, which means to live in as a home, and kata, which means down. It can be better translated to settle down and be at home. And it's in the aorist tense which shows finality, or once and for all. You see, Christ doesn't just want to be your Lord. He wants to once and for all settle down and feel completely at home in your hearts. So when it says for Christ to dwell in our hearts by faith, it isn't referencing salvation, but rather sanctification. For Christ to be able to settle down and feel at home in our hearts, he needs to clean some things up first. Have you ever thought about it that way? Is Jesus comfortable and at peace living in the home that is your heart? Are you a good host? Does he have access to all the rooms? And which rooms are off limits? You see, we too often look at the work of sanctification in our lives as painful or as if something is being taken away from us. But the work of sanctification is glorious. It's like the first day of spring when you open all the windows to drive out the stale winter air and replace it with new fresh air. We need to change our perspective of sanctification. We often get so bogged down in a list of do's and don'ts instead of enjoying the work of freedom being done inside of us. It's like finally tackling the job of cleaning and organizing that basement or garage. And when you're all done, it feels like a burden has been lifted off of you now. And the space is functional and useful and free of encumbrances. You can even walk in those cleaned and organized rooms with the lights off and fear no tripping hazards. Sanctification should be refreshing and it should be welcomed. In fact, when the work of true salvation happens, the believer will desire sanctification. We often avoid sanctification because we feel shame about the secret sins in our lives. Don't you see? He wants to release you of that shame by cleaning that closet up. He doesn't stand back and belittle you and criticize you for the messes in your life. He comes alongside of you. He lives within you and says, will you give me access to those skeletons in the closet so I can remove them forever and replace them with life? And so this verse is saying, yield yourself to the sanctifying work of Christ so he can once and for all feel settled down and at home in your heart. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode within him. Let's look at the next step at the end of verse 17. It says, And that you being rooted and grounded in love. So follow the purpose clause here. So being strengthened according to the riches of his glory in the inner man, leads to Christ being settled down in our hearts, which leads to love that is incomprehensible. What this means is that when Christ is settled down in our hearts, the ground is prepped for the love of Christ to be rooted and grounded in us. The words rooted and grounded means securely settled and deeply founded. In other words, some people aren't completely devoid of love, but it can be easily removed or shaken because it isn't deeply rooted and grounded. Christ wants his love so deeply rooted in our hearts that we are immovable for him. That his love is thoroughly fixed in our hearts and is our foundation. 
What happens when his love is firmly fixed in our hearts? Not only can he use us to display his love to others, but when his love is rooted in us, a byproduct of that is to give us full assurance that we are his. There are so many believers that don't have assurance in their hearts. 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 say, We have come to know God and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. You may have received the grace and salvation of God by his love, but is that love rooted and grounded in your hearts, so that it gives you full assurance in him and casts out all fear and doubt? Now remember, we're dealing with a purpose clause here. So in order for love to be rooted and grounded in us completely, Christ must first be settled down and at home in our hearts. This is also in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means it's a completed action with continual results. It's the idea that once Christ is settled in your hearts, he plants his love with deep roots, and every day from that point forward, it's producing results in your life. For if he planted it and walked away, it would wither and die. But when Christ roots love in our hearts, it never fades, shrinks, or withers, because he is tending the garden and nothing slips from his control and his care. It must be pointed out that this is his love that is rooted and grounded in our hearts, not a love from us that we can muster up. So many believers are working so hard to produce good works and love in their lives, and this is an impossible task that often leaves us broken because we always fall short. Let me tell you the key to producing love in your life. You ready? Be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that Christ can settle down in your hearts. In other words, The work is his. Our work is to let him in and to yield ourselves to his work. How much freer would we be if we stopped tripping over the checklists of do's and don'ts and we whittled it down to the one thing that produces an abundance of good works in our lives? Let Christ be at home in you. For he and he alone can cultivate the garden of your heart so it bears an abundance of fruits of righteousness. You know, it's the simplicity of the message that messes us up. Can you imagine a life that is free from spending sleepless nights preparing your responses for the hard conversation you have with your boss? Or what method of discipline to show your kids? Or how to have a better marriage? All we must simply do is make Christ at home in our hearts, and we will walk in the love that he is supplying. And it is with that love that our responses are seasoned, and it is out of that love that our actions will flow. Suddenly, forgiveness becomes easier. Discipline of our children becomes effective and doesn't exasperate them. You know the right things to do in your marriage because everything you do is rooted and grounded in love. And not just any love, his love, which is perfect and selfless. It's when Christ's loving nature has truly become our own. And so we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell at home in our hearts so that we are rooted and grounded in love. And look at verse 18. So that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge.
We cannot fully comprehend his love until it is first fully rooted in the core of our being, which again is the result of Christ being at home in our hearts. Look at the word comprehend. In English, we know this to mean to understand. But the Greek word is so much deeper than that. The Greek word for comprehend means to lay hold of, so as to make one's own, to seize, to take possession of. It could be better translated to apprehend. There is a difference in knowing about the love of God and apprehending it, seizing it, and taking possession of it. It's the difference of knowing and regurgitating the answers for the test and then immediately forgetting when the test is over versus having comprehension that allows you to make full application of what you know because you possess it. It goes on to say that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. In other words, there isn't a single true believer that doesn't have access to this comprehension. And what comprehension are we talking about? Look at the rest of the verse, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. The words breadth, length, height, and depth just depict the vastness of his love which he enables us to comprehend. It goes on to say, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. The word know here in the Greek is the word gnosko. And it is an experiential knowledge, meaning we will know by experience the love of Christ. This is not some conceptual knowing. He works in and through us, so we don't just know his love in the form of mental ascension, but we know it by lived experience. You know, it's hard to argue with somebody who has experienced something firsthand, and it's equally hard to forget something that has been gained by experience. It's like what I've said in the past. How do you know his love is real? Because it happened to me. But look at what he says. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. It's saying to know by firsthand experience the love of Christ which surpasses firsthand experience. Wait a second. How does it say we can comprehend and possess and know his love by experience, but at the same time it surpasses our knowledge or our knowing by experience? I absolutely love this. One commentator says regarding this passage, No matter how much the saint experiences the love of Christ, yet there are oceans of love in the great heart of God that have not been touched by our experience. His love is eternal, infinite, inexhaustible. It never comes to an end. It never fails. How can anyone fully know or apprehend or contain a love that has no end? So he's saying paradoxically, that we, by the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, which results in Christ being at home in us, rooting and grounding his love within us, can comprehend and know this great love, and at the same time we haven't even scratched the surface of the depth of his love. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because it is inescapable. The depths of his love are deeper than any sin, and it stretches further than you've ever run from him. 
And not only has his love been shed abroad in our hearts for us to show this love to others, but this is the great love that he has placed on you and in you. And so it is that by the power of the Spirit, Christ is at home within us, rooting us in love and making known to us the great depths of his incomprehensible love, which leads to the end of verse 18 that says, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God's primary goal in bringing us to himself is to make us like him by filling us with himself and all that he is and has. Just think about that for a moment. He is wisdom. He is love. He is patience. He is power. He is strength, holiness. He is the creator of everything. And he wants to fill us with his fullness. The word filled is the Greek word plerao, and it's found many times in the New Testament, and it's a word that means total dominance. It means a life that is totally dominated by God with nothing left of self or of the old man. It doesn't mean some of God and some of us. It means none of us and all of him. I don't know about you, but I could use a break for myself. He will not rest until we are filled with all the fullness of him. He will not stop until we are totally like him. Let's look at the culmination of all of this in verse 20. He says, when the following conditions are met, when we are strengthened by the spirit, when Christ is at home within us, when love has been rooted in us and we are fully dominated by God, he is now able, verse 20, to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. You see, we want God to use us and do more for us than we can ask or think, but we fail to follow the pattern of verses 16 through 19. In other words, there is no limit to what God can do for you and through you when we are fully yielded to his work in our lives, when he has total dominance of our lives. Jesus echoes the same thought in John chapter 14, verse 12, when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We've pointed out in the past that in my name, simply means according to his will. So a life that is fully dominated by the fullness of God is a life that is motivated by his purposes and his will. And consequently, everything that we ask of him will abundantly be supplied because it is according to his will. And not only does he abundantly supply everything we ask, but he does far more abundantly anything we could ask or even think. I'm so grateful that he doesn't just supply us with what we think we need because it's not like we actually know what we need. How many times have you asked for something from God and he gives you something different and you're so grateful you didn't get what you originally asked for? Even the things you don't even know you need or couldn't even think of to ask for, he will supply you. What a wonderful and generous God we serve. Paul finishes his prayer in verse 21 where he says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to do all these things in you and through you so that he may get the glory now and forever. I encourage you, do not deny him access to your life. Do not deny his glorious work of sanctification. 
for he is building in you something beyond comprehension. And so finally, when the believer is strengthened by the Holy Spirit, Christ is settled down at home within our hearts. He then grounds us in his incomprehensible love, filling us with his full dominance in our lives. He will then do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.